Well, hello and welcome to the Jazz Focus. My name is John Clark. Thank you for joining us. Welcome if it's your first time. Today we're going to do something a little bit different. Usually we focus, as I say, on the highways and byways of recorded jazz. Today we're going to focus on one particular piece of music. In this case, it is George Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue, which as of this uh, recording of this podcast is almost exactly 100 years old from its premiere. I'm doing this on February 13th of 2024, and uh, the famous Aeolian Hall concert produced by uh, Paul Whiteman as a kind of a history of jazz and pop music, American pop music, was done exactly 100 years earlier in February of 1924. And as part of that concert, Whiteman commissioned several new pieces, uh, one by Victor Herbert, uh, Victor Lopez, or Vincent Lopez rather, uh, and one by George Gershwin, as well as doing some dance tunes and some jazzier performances, at least as it was understood at the time. He had spoken to George Gershwin about putting together a kind of a, a classical pastiche of a piano concerto, and um, it never really got beyond the talking stages in 1923, and Gershwin forgot all about it uh, until he read a news item, or his brother Ira read a news item, uh, early in, very early in 1924, or possibly in December of 1923, saying that the premiere of this new George Gershwin work was going to take place at Aeolian Hall in February of 1924, and that was news to Gershwin, who had to produce a uh, piece in, in short order, and he did. He produced this piece called Rhapsody in Blue, which is uh, organized around two major themes, a very bluesy theme and a much more romantic theme, and it uh, alternates in good uh, Western classical tradition uh, ensemble with uh, piano solo. Uh, at the time of the uh, first uh, performance, the piano parts had not been written out, and Gershwin essentially improvised them and told uh, Paul Whiteman that he would nod when the orchestra was supposed to come back in, and that's how they did it. But eventually, of course, he had to write out some piano parts for publication. The famous clarinet uh, introduction to the piece was originally just a scale, uh, but the clarinet player in uh, Whiteman's band, a fellow named Russ Gorman, uh, was playing around with it in a rehearsal and turned it into kind of a, a klezmerish uh, glissando going up, and ever since then, that's how clarinet players have done it. Gershwin was very enthralled by that and said, leave it in. Gershwin himself did not do the orchestration of this piece. He had only done Broadway shows and songs up to this point, and he was not uh, an adept enough orchestrator to take on this task, especially not uh, in such a brief time period. So that duty fell to uh, Whiteman's chief arranger, Ferdy Grofe, who was also a fine composer in his own right. So in some ways, this is 75% Gershwin and 25% Grofe, I guess you'd have to say. We're going to play a whole series of different interpretations of the Rhapsody in Blue themes for you today, and we're going to start out with the first one, which is Paul Whiteman's band featuring George Gershwin. This was uh, three years plus a little bit after the concert. It was done for RCA Victor, a couple of sides of a 12-inch uh, 78, and uh, it was done, let's see, on April 21st of 1927, and featured some fine Gershwin piano. After Gershwin... Uh, stopped performing with the Whiteman Band. He didn't actually perform with it very often. The piano solo uh, fell to Roy Bargy, or Bargy, not sure if that's a hard or a soft G, and he can be heard playing uh, in the film The King of Jazz from 1929, in which uh, Paul Whiteman's career was supposedly dramatized, and they had a whole performance of this piece. Anyway, this will be our first recording, the uh, Whiteman version of Rhapsody in Blue, featuring George Gershwin, and with the uh, original Ross Gorman clarinet introduction. After that, we're going to go to a very different uh, version of a Rhapsody in Blue theme. This is from the more romantic theme, and it's called simply Theme from Rhapsody in Blue, done by, of all people, Charles Mingus, the Charles Mingus Trio, recording for debut on April 14th of 1953. And the trio in this case consists of Spalding Givens on piano, Charles Mingus on bass, and Max Roach on drums. So it shows that... Um, the piece, Rhapsody in Blue, was quite pervasive in American culture, even to be picked up by African-American jazz players. Uh, in recent years, uh, Gershwin has gotten uh, a lot of flack for not uh, treating black jazz musicians uh, with enough recognition or giving them enough recognition, although it's very questionable how much of this he actually got from, from black music per se, as opposed to just traveling around in Harlem and sort of absorbing some of the sights and sounds. And in some ways, this piece really shouldn't be considered jazz. It's a piece of Western classical music that was based on classical uh, themes as well as jazz themes and using some jazz instrumentation like saxophones, muted trumpets, and so on. Uh, 
in some ways it, it really should be viewed as, as uh, Dvorak's Ninth Symphony from 1893 was uh, performed. Dvorak took uh, ideas from music that he heard in the United States from African-American spirituals, Native American songs, and things like that. And he was very vocal back then about saying that the future of American music was indeed in those uh, groups and their indigenous musics that were being played and, and, and danced to in, in their communities in the United States. And he was uh, roundly uh, dismissed by American composers at the time, but uh, he was proven right over the years. And Gershwin was just really the next uh, step in that evolution, I think. So after the Charles Mingus version, we're going to hear a dance band version by Leroy Smith and his orchestra. I played this on a, another podcast at some point. This was recorded for uh, uh, Victor in 1928, February 23rd, and it's a standard 10 or 11 piece dance band that was active in Harlem uh, at the time. These are all African American musicians. Um, the best known of them are Pike Davis on trumpet, uh, Wilbur de Paris on trombone, Emerson Harper on clarinet, plays the solo, and uh, Sam Speed on banjo. Uh, actually, Charlie Gaines plays trumpet, not Pike Davis in this case, and uh, a couple of other players who were very well known at the time in Harlem, cabarets and bands, but uh, not terribly well known today. And that'll give you more of a dance band version of the piece and how it was interpreted by a group that would have been playing in a cabaret. So those are our first three versions of the Rhapsody in Blue. Paul Whiteman featuring George Gershwin, the Charles Mingus Trio, and Leroy Smith and his orchestra.
Well, there are three truly different versions of that piece and really shows how, as I said, pervasive that music was in American culture right from its uh, introduction on that uh, Aeolian Hall stage in February of 1924. We heard the Paul Whiteman Orchestra featuring George Gershwin at the piano from 1927 playing the piece. Um, who knows if uh, the piano parts sounded anything like they did in 1924. As I said, Gershwin kind of improvised them the first time around, but uh, by the time this recording was made, it had been published and he was playing more or less the published part. We heard Ross Gorman on that introductory clarinet solo and the full band as well. This was, of course, uh, a dance band that was augmented. The Whiteman band was quite large. It had about 25, 30 pieces to it. It had a string section, five reed players who doubled a lot of different instruments. It had six or seven brass and piano, uh, banjo, tuba, bass, uh, guitar, and drums. So it had quite a lot of uh, different sound possibilities to it. The, version of Rhapsody in Blue we're probably most accustomed to hearing, which we're not going to hear today, is called the Hollywood Bowl version, and that was uh, arranged for symphony orchestra. I think Grofi did it himself uh, in the middle 1930s. Anyway, these are much more jazzy and much more 20s oriented. So after that one, we heard that uh, trio performance by Charles Mingus, a very interesting performance. Uh, Mingus was a uh, definitely his own man, and he was quick to uh, to call uh, slights on his race and so forth. So it was interesting to hear that he picked this piece to record for one of his first sessions for debut records, this being done on April 14th of 1953, the Charles Mingus Trio. Mingus on bass, Spalding Givens on piano, and Max Roach on drums. And uh, they just used the second theme, the romance theme of the piece. And then we heard that dance band version by Leroy Smith and his orchestra. This may have been published as a stock arrangement that could be bought at local music stores. That was boiled down to about a three-minute performance, as uh, most records were at the time. Uh, the uh, Whiteman and Gershwin was, as I said, two sides of a 12-inch uh, uh, 78, and each one of those uh, went about four and a half minutes or so, so the piece was about nine minutes long as it stood there, and then the Leroy Smith version was only about three minutes long. So they uh, sped everything up and compressed it and gave you the, the essentials in three minutes. So we're going to go on now to uh, an interesting version of the full band arrangement. This was done by Bert Furman and his orchestra. Bert Furman was a British band leader who had a long series of very fine uh, dance band records in the 1930s, late 1920s and into the 30s. This version of Rhapsody in Blue... Uh, it was called the first British recording. I believe this was also done for, actually I think it was Zonophone um, was uh, the company that did it. It was from January 24th of 1928 and features the pianist Carol Gibbons. Uh, Carol Gibbons was a very fine musician who later took over the band called the New Mayfair Orchestra, which was a recording band that put out uh, pop music from the late 1920s all the way up into the middle 1930s. He did that for a couple of years before he went out on his own and was replaced by Ray Noble, who made the much better better known recordings at the time. So in this band, we'll hear a couple of Americans, Chelsea Queeley on trumpet, Pearly Breed on clarinet and alto sax, so I believe it's E.O. Pogson who plays the clarinet solo, Joe Brunelli on banjo, and uh, some Brits as well, Rudy Starita on drums and vibraphone, Billy Bell on tuba, Ben Oakley on trombone, and quite a few other musicians as well who are un, uh, uh, unattributed, as it were. So that'll be the Burt Furman Orchestra and Rhapsody in Blue. I'm going to follow that up with a pretty well-known uh, version of the tune done by Glenn Miller and his orchestra. This is, a, uh, I believe, a Bill Finnegan arrangement um, that was recorded uh, for RCA Victor and released on the Bluebird label in July of 1942. And this features a really lovely uh, cornet solo towards the beginning by Bobby Hackett, who had been playing guitar with the band. He actually had some... Uh, teeth trouble at the time, so he wasn't playing much cornet, but uh, Glenn Miller put him to work in the rhythm section, but occasionally he would come out and play a solo, as he did on this one, Rhapsody in Blue, uh, from, let's see, July uh, 16th, I believe, of 1942. It's also going to feature a really lovely tenor sax solo by Tex Beneke, who was one of the uh, key members of the band at the time. He wasn't usually uh, celebrated for his jazz abilities, but he does a lovely uh, job on this one. So that will be the Glenn Miller version. Then we're going to hear another 
trio, actually a quartet version of uh, Rhapsody in Blue. This will be done by the uh, black violinist Eddie South. We've had some podcasts of his in the past. I may have included this uh, version as well. I don't remember, to be honest. But this is the Eddie South Quartet, recording for standard transcriptions in 1944. And uh, in this group, in addition to Eddie South, who was known as the Dark Angel of the Violin, by the way, we're going to have uh, the wonderful uh, Billy Taylor at the beginning of his career on piano, fellow named... Uh, Legrand Mason on bass and Connie Jordan on drums. And these were done for, as I said, standard transcriptions made strictly for radio play at the time. And that'll be a, another different take on the same melody. So those will be our three versions of Rhapsody in Blue coming up. We're going to hear the Burt Furman Orchestra featuring Carol Gibbons, the Glenn Miller Orchestra, and Eddie South and his quartet.
three more versions of the Rhapsody. That Bert Furman version from 1928 that featured Carol Gibbons, very fine piano player, uh, who did a very creditable job recreating the George Gershwin recording from 11 months earlier with Paul Whiteman. And that was done in London. And uh, some interesting playing there. Good dance band, played a lot of the hotels and made many, many recordings uh, as a big band and also in small groups. Uh, the Rhythmic Eight and so forth. We've done a couple of podcasts for various combinations of Burt Furman musicians as well. Then we heard that Glenn Miller version from 1942 featuring a beautiful Bobby Hackett solo uh, and Tex Beneke as well on tenor sax. Much more romantic and, and bluesy than, than some of the other versions we've heard. And then finished up with that Eddie South Quartet uh, recording for Standard Transcriptions in 1944. The Grand Mason on bass um, Billy uh, Taylor on um, piano, one of his very early recordings in that case, and on drums, Connie Jordan. So now we're going to go to our last two recordings of Rhapsody. Uh, there were a number, number of other ones I could have used, but I'm most attracted to the ones we're hearing today. The next one is going to be the earliest recording. It was from roughly about 1925 and was recorded as a uh, piano roll, I think, for duo art. And it was done, credited anyway, to George Gershwin himself. And uh, this was uh, is also the longest recording we're going to hear. It goes about 14 and a half minutes. So presumably this is what Gershwin intended when he composed the piece. Now, we've done podcasts and shows on uh, piano rolls before, and you always have to take them with a little bit of a grain of salt in terms of how authentic they are. Uh, editors would sometimes add notes later on. Uh, there's some speculation that Gershwin may have even put in another hand or two, so there might be three or four hands playing at the same time, uh, because it was obviously quite a complicated piece to be played with just a solo piano, the, the band parts and all that. But it's an interesting document nonetheless, and so we get a sense of what Gershwin may have intended. Uh, uh, it stands up on its own as a piece of work uh, regardless, though. Then we're going to finish up with my favorite version of Rhapsody, not including the original. This was done in December of 1962 for Atlantic and was released on the Reprise label, and it was done as part of the series of recordings uh, by Duke Ellington and his orchestra, A Salute to the Big Band Era. Somehow this made it onto that as well. And it has a... Uh, Typically wonderful. I think it's an Ellington arrangement. I don't think it's a Billy Strayhorn one. Uh, it uh, starts out not with a clarinet, but with the baritone sax of Harry Carney doing kind of a, a take on the introductory clarinet solo. Jimmy Hamilton on clarinet comes in to finish the performance later on, and in between we're going to hear uh, Cootie Williams on trumpet and Paul Gonzalez on tenor sax. So a very Ellingtonish uh, recasting of the Gershwin piece uh, about almost 40 years later, 38 years later, I suppose. So those are our two versions coming up, the George Gershwin piano roll from 1925 and the Duke Ellington Orchestra performance from 1962 of Rhapsody in Blue.
have Rhapsody in Blue, George Gershwin doing a piano roll, actually for the Aeolian Company in 1925, and that was two piano rolls. They, uh, they didn't go long enough to make a 15-minute roll, so it was about seven and a half minutes each, I guess. And uh, exploring his own arrangement, his own sequence of themes for Rhapsody in Blue, and that, I believe, is about the first recording we have of that piece. Then we finished up with one from uh, almost 30 years later, uh, done for Atlantic, released on reprise by Duke Ellington and his orchestra, featuring many of the fine soloists, Jimmy Hamilton on clarinet, we heard a little Johnny Hodges on alto sax, Cootie Williams on growl trumpet, uh, Paul Gonzalez on tenor sax, we heard some high notes by Cat Anderson, and the introductory baritone sax solo by Harry Carney. So I hope you've enjoyed this program. A little bit different this time around, but a good celebration of the 100th anniversary of George Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue, which certainly transcended uh, style in a lot of ways. It was classical, it was jazz, it was dance band music, it was folk music, it was all kinds of different things, uh, depending on how it was performed and how it was received. And uh, I think we did a good job at uh, giving a variety of different performances by black groups, white groups, classical groups, jazz groups, and so forth. So thank you very much. You've been listening to The Jazz Focus. My name is John Clark, and hope you join us on a regular basis and check out our back catalog of podcasts and radio shows. We have probably about 400 of them in the can at this point, and uh, hopefully many more to come. If you'd like to become a member of the family and uh, donate a bit, please do so as a sustaining member on a monthly basis or just a one-time gift. We'd love to have you as a member of our family. So thank you again, and I'll see you on the other side.